1: Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. Hell yeah. Welcome to another week of Pride. Pride! Pride. Pride. Oh my gosh, I feel like I just sounded like Oprah. (laughs) Pride! Pride! Pride. Okay. You get Pride. You get Pride. (laughs)
0: Everyone gets Pride!
1: So, (sighs) this week, we are going to be talking about, and I want to kind of run this by... You and all of our listeners really Mm -hmm. quickly. So, last year during Pride Month, we did a Queer Feminist Babe Mm -hmm. episode. We had somebody tweet at us, very respectfully and kindly, but they did tweet at us and they said that they were a member of the LGBTQ community and they didn't like us using the word queer Mm. as to cisgendered, you know, straight women. Yeah. So... I know, I don't know, because I've, I think I've heard conflicting things on that about yeah. whether or not it's okay for straight people to use that word. So if everybody could let us know what your thoughts are on that, what's the prevailing thought yeah. on that, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. Yeah, I'm
2: definitely not the person to ask. Because no, no, I, I was yeah, yeah, say, I'm not, I'm not asking
1: know. you. I'm no, just I saying.
2: thought you were wondering what I was thinking, so I was like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to reiterate uh, that we are are flawed when it comes to this topic because we are straight. Um so if we say things that are that could be offensive or are incorrect or wrong in any way, I hope that our listeners at least know that like
1: we don't do that with any sort of malicious intent. Right. But I wanna know better and do better. Yes. So my question would be I've had people in my life say that that word's totally fine to use and have no problem with it and who, you know, proudly identify themselves that way and identify their community that way and ask to be referred to that way. I
2: think that's, I think that's what it's, I I wonder if that's what it needs is if somebody calls themselves
1: that. Right. So instead of somebody labeling them as that. Absolutely. So my question would be, you know, right Actually, just write in your thoughts to us. Let us know, members of the LGBTQ community, how do you feel about us using that word? Yeah. In the meantime, I think for the sake of this episode that we just call uh, our episode LGBTQ icons. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Just for the sake of of making sure that we are erring on the side of caution and being respectful. Yes, definitely.
2: Definitely. That is a great place to start, Keegan.
1: Okay. Well, that is what we are talking about this week. We are
2: talking about those LGBTQ icons, girl. And I...
1: I'm literally, like, giddy right now. Let me guess. Because... No, no, no. Yeah, guess. Guess. Are you doing Judy Garland? And? Liza Minnelli. Woo! As soon as I...
2: Okay. Real talk. I was a little stoned. and And I was looking up my... Feminist fave that I was gonna do. And then I texted Keegan in all caps and I was like, or gay icons, or like whatever. And um I immediately was like, if I don't do Judy Garland, I'm doing myself and everybody in the world a disservice. <laughs> and when else am I gonna talk about her? She wasn't like an Uber like feminist person or anything like that. So I'm like, what am, what else am
1: I going to get to share my knowledge? You see, I wasn't sure what you meant whenever you said you wanted to do icons. So I thought about that this morning. I was yeah. like, oh, this is probably what she meant because I chose someone in the LGBTQ community. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, as an icon. I... And then I was like, oh, she probably chose Judy Garland. Like, I was like, okay. Oh, I knew you would know. But I...
2: And that honestly, at first, wasn't my intent, and while I was looking for feminist faves to do, I started seeing Judy Garland being gay icon articles come up, and I got really excited, and I was like, well, I can't talk about Judy without talking about Liza, and... I'm I'm not getting into Judy's background. I'm not talking about her film career. I'm not talking about any of that stuff. This is only things to do with her involvement with the, well, at the time, Primarily non-existent. Primarily
1: gay community. Yeah, and,
2: and really very non-existent community, really. It was just starting. And um, I've talked about her involving that a little bit. So with those topics that I've already touched on, I'm just going to kind of, like, mention them and brush on by. But there's a lot of stuff that we need to cover. So... Get to work. So, I'm going to talk about Judy and Liza. Judy was born Frances Ethel Gum on June 10th, 1922. Which is the most
1: 1922 name there ever was. It was her
2: father and her mother's name. Her That's, father was Frances, her mother was Ethel.
1: But I mean, Frances Ethel Gum is the yeah. most Midwest 1922 yep. name I've ever heard in my She's life. She's
2: from Grand Rapids, Minnesota. So, We're both Francis's, and we were both from Minnesota. It's fine. It's not a big deal. I need to breathe. Okay. So her parents owned a theater in Grand Rapids, and that's kind of how her whole career started. It was her and her two sisters. They were the Gum Sisters, and they would perform. And when she was two years old, she sang Jingle Bells, and it kind of went on from there. And her mom was, like, dead set on making her this star. But while they were running this theater company, there were some issues her father was a closeted gay man and he would he kind of had a thing for the uh, the younger side of the gay men that didn't specify how young and that was something that like i'd kind of heard growing up when i'd read different biographies but never really thought about because he's always been portrayed as being the only person who's ever been in in judy's corner um he's only been portrayed in a very positive light but because well, people of, are multifaceted, and he can be
1: both good and def- very problematic, definitely.
2: So there he kept company with some of the teenage ushers is what I read. And um, so it kind of ran them out of Grand Rapids a bit, and they started kind of going to different places. And because of Francis at the time, they moved out to Lancaster, California, and you know, she joined MGM and all that kind of stuff. But at a very young age, you know, know it or not, she had an experience with a man who happened to be gay who was also the biggest supporter in her life, the one person who always had her back. She wasn't a dollar sign to him. She was. never even called her Judy. She was Francis, always. So the other thing that kind of um, was personal to Judy was her marriages. Um, She married... I want to say she married two gay men... But Vincent Minnelli may have been bisexual. It's a little bit up for um, conversation there. So after her first three-year marriage with David Rose, Judy married film director Vincent Minnelli after working with him on Meet Me in St. Louis. Judy said that film was the only time she ever looked beautiful, all thanks to Minnelli. So that's kind of how she fell in love with him. Um, According to biographer Emmanuel Levy... Vincent was openly gay in New York, but when he came to Hollywood, I think he made the decision to repress that part of himself. Because Hollywood, if you listen to the episode that we had posted earlier this year that I did with Haley, um, they would have, they would kind of create, like, I don't know if beards is the right term anymore, but, like, they would create these false relationships for their gay staffers to kind of closet them and make them more acceptable.
1: Right. I mean, even... There was a man, gosh, I wish I could remember his name right now, but there was a man who, um, Nancy Reagan did this with. And Mm. I can't remember his name. I was going to include it in our Reagan and the AIDS Mm -hmm. epidemic episode just to drive home the relationship that the Reagans had had with that community. community. But they were called, like, um, social men, where it was like, you could send your... If your wife wanted to go out and you didn't want to go out, you could send your wife out with this person. To make
2: it look like they're together. And,
1: and, like, you would know that your wife was safe. Yeah. Right? Like, it's just like... it's interesting. Because, you know, everyone knows that he's gay, but no one knows that he's gay. You know what I mean? MGM was
2: very uh, involved in their stars' personal lives. They were under very strict contracts. So a lot of times, the studio heads themselves would set people up with people. Right. You know, gay, straight, otherwise. You know, they would always be setting people up. So... They, th- I read this, and it's very alleged that she. I know that she caught him in bed with men. That's something I've read in multiple biographies, but some um, articles I was reading said that that led to her big suicide attempt that she had. I don't know if that's true. She had plenty of reasons to to do that, so I don't know. Right, because it seems people... like she
1: knowingly entered into this relationship, kind of knowing what it was. Um, did he? Did she expect him to be faithful to her? I. Faithful?
2: (laughs) No, probably because she was never faithful. But I think uh, she's a very complicated woman, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit more when we get into what she means to the gay community because um, her expectations in what a marriage partner is is very different than what you and I would consider. Hmm. Okay. And it very much stems from a lot of... um, Abuse, growing up too fast, things like that. So we'll get into that in a little bit. So after Manelli, she went on to marry Sid Luft, who's my favorite of the husbands. She had two gorgeous little children with him. Um, between 1952 and 1965, before marrying Mark Heron. Heron was an actor and a gay man. They had a very nasty divorce. Uh, Judy accused him of abusing her, and then he came out and was like, it's self-defense. Judy was known, she she was a drunk, and she was an addict to pills. was she was yeah, known, pretty volatile. She was incredibly volatile. She had incredible mood, sp- mood swings. She had a lot of mental illness issues that were not being addressed, along with all of the uh, chemicals that were swimming around her body. So she was definitely not an easy person to be around all the time, and that doesn't really surprise me. But I also, it, I also can buy that he was abusive in return to her, so... A lot of what Judy says sometimes is to take with a grain of salt. Um, but i can I can believe that both things are are true. Um, also, his homosexuality was a big reason for their divorce. And when I talk about Liza, I'm gonna get a little bit more into some specific reasons. It's very interesting. So her daughter, Lorna, states that her mother was unable to distinguish between friendship and romantic relationships with her gay companions. And that's what I was getting to earlier, was that she was a woman who needed to be adored. She needed
1: to be loved. She needed therapy. She needed therapy (laughs)
2: hardcore. And, I mean, she would be sent to rehabs and things like that, but it it wasn't what it is today, where they, you know, I think they tried to get into her head, too, but she could only take so much time off Where she had to go do another movie. It was not, she was not treated like a normal human being. And she, if somebody... Showed her love and was a fan and you know gawked over
1: her to well, her that was and probably showing rough. her a similar, you know you look up to your fathers in one way or another. Yeah. I think even without knowing it, sometimes yeah. you can see traits in somebody, Um, especially if you have a very loving relationship with your father. Yeah, and so that could be part of it as well. I, you know,
2: I think that that's she's a, projecting. A very good guess. Yeah. So, Judy was very good friends with two gay MGM employees. I'm sure there was more than just two, but two of the most notable are Roger Eden and Charles Walters. Have you heard of either of them? Yes. Okay, Roger Eden? Yes. Okay, so Roger Eden was Judy's composer since she was 12 years old all the way till she was in her late 20s. And uh, Charles Walters is one of the... Google him if you have any interest in old Hollywood. He is the choreographer of Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire, Judy Garland, Ginger Rogers. And he was known for turning these stars who couldn't dance into dancers. And Judy wasn't a a dancer, yet he somehow was able to coach her in a way where she could keep up with Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire like she's been doing it her entire life. He was a genius. So Charles Walters was actually openly gay. He had a partner that he had been with for a very, very long time and still had a, a budding career and was able to kind of carry through. And Edens was the man who actually talked... MGM out of casting Shirley Temple as Dorothy. Hmm. Because it was Judy, and then it was Shirley, and then it went back to Judy. And because when he had played Over the Rainbow with her, he was like, she can't do this. And that song became... Obviously, now we know that song is very important. That song was almost cut out of the movie. But it, during the filming process, was the basis around what the movie was built on. So, um... Eden and Walters made up of what was called the fairy unit at MGM. There were more people in this quote-unquote fairy unit. Not my words.
1: Yeah, not the best um, terminology, but it was a no, problematic time. But I,
2: I, I have to say it because it's like, it's there. Um, Judy would go to gay bars with them, and that royally pissed off Louis V. Mayer. He was not too happy with that and how that made her look. Huh, some call her the Elvis of homosexuals. And I know it's not politically correct to say that, but also we're talking back in like the sixties times right now. So that's not Madigan saying that, um, the advocate was actually the person who coined that phrase with her gay comedian. Bob Smith took a comic take on Judy, imagining Elvis as King and Judy as queen. He said, Elvis had a drinking problem. Judy could drink Elvis under the table. Elvis gained more weight. Judy lost more weight. Elvis was addicted to painkillers. No pill could stop Judy's pain. In 1967, Time Magazine reviewed Judy's performance at the Palace Theater. They noted that a disproportionate part of her nightly clack seems to be homosexual. The boys in tight trousers would roll their eyes, tear at their hair, and practically levitate from their seats. So this is when it started becoming kind of... um, publicized about her fan base a bit more. And um, it started being something that she was more um, brought aware of because of this, because people were publishing things like this. So why was Judy so popular among the gay community, Keegan? Tell me. Uh, Many contribute her popularity to her tragic life. William Goldman wrote in Esquire... Again, I'm using... I'm sorry I'm using this word so much. Homosexuals tend to identify with suffering. They are a persecuted group and they understand suffering. And so does Garland. She's been through fire and lived. All the drinking, divorcing, all the pills and all the men. All the pound, all the poundage coming gone. Brothers and sisters, she knows. Now, I don't necessarily agree with all of that because I think everybody has their own individual experience of being gay or being part of the LGBTQ community. It doesn't necessarily mean that all of you have... Suffered, But I think what he's trying to get at in his very twisted 1960s vernacular is that they might be able to um, resonate with her in some way because of her struggles, although I don't really feel that's part of it.
1: Well, I don't know that it's not, because for me, I mean, especially we're talking about a time, a very different time mm-hmm. than than. Now you know, especially coming out of like the 1930s and 40s, when there was a, a a code of ethics in Hollywood that you couldn't show anything that was remotely gay, yeah, um, and things like that. I, I think that there was a lot more. I don't want to say that there was more, but like you, it, it's the same reason why there are certain white artists that black America. Became very fond of. Yeah. And part of that is because they were ones that struggled and that, like, yeah. had a lot of hardship because they could yeah. relate to the black experience more closely right. than somebody who had been privileged their whole life. Right. And I, so it, it it's one of those things where where Judy did experience a certain amount of privilege for being, um, because she was successful from such an early age. Yeah. She also experienced a certain amount of pain and like a certain amount of hardship that I think any marginalized community can more closely relate to. So I get that to a certain extent. I I do
2: too. I think just reading it um, with a lot of people basing their whole reasoning behind her being an icon because of that... I think that there's a lot of other reasons, and I feel like that's oversimplifying. I, I, that's I agree. Kind of I think it's a issue multifaceted
1: it. issue. But I do understand it from the perspective of, like, there's a reason why communities of color have a harder time relating to rich white people who have been privileged and don't really at least outwardly appear to have struggled at all. Right. You know, yeah, where she, she wore her difficulties on her sleeve in some did. ways. And, and I
2: think and, that... And the- The public and the media dragged her through the mud constantly, and I think that that gave people something to root for. Right. And I think that it gave the gay community at the time something to root for as well. And to relate to. Yes. So there is a man named Richard Dyer, and he is a gay film scholar. He had an article called Judy Garland and Gay Men. He says three characteristics make this diva particularly available for queer identification and pleasure, androgyny, camp, and ordinariness. Uh, He defines camp as being a characteristically gay way of handling values, images, and products of the dominant culture through irony, exaggeration, trivialization, theatricalization, and ambivalent making fun of out of the series and respectable. He says that Judy is camp because she is imitable. Her appearance and gestures copiable in drag acts. She did have, as she got older, um, Judy had a very deep voice. She was not a high soprano. She was not a very dainty girly type of um artist and that was partly something that she was chastised for her whole life they never knew where to put her which is why they put her in radio for so long before putting her in movies because she did have a very different look and attitude than a lot of the other uh female child stars at that time and a lot of the female actors at that time if you watch her movies a lot of times she's more of the rough and tumble gal she's wearing pants she's working She's, you know, those are kind of her uh, roles that she was given a lot of time that I think for a lot of people drew this very androgynous style from her. She also could rock a pantsuit, like no, like a sequin pantsuit, like no one I've ever seen in my entire life. So I feel like there was some androgynous, um, fuck, I have to hurry up. There was some androgynous, um, Right. Yeah,
1: that I think people were very drawn to. So we talked... And she was probably also an icon in that community, simply for the fact that she didn't look down on that community. I mean, that goes a, a long way. Yeah. And she seemed to have given them some credit where it was due, which I think also goes a long way.
2: Definitely. So we talked last year a little bit about the phrase, friend of Dorothy. So for those of you who didn't listen to the episode, don't know it or don't remember, that is code at the time for um, gay men to be able to identify each other without it being um, super obvious. Are you a friend of Dorothy was a way for them to connect with people. Dorothy's journey from Kansas to Oz has mirrored many gay men's desire to escape the black and white limitations of small town life for big, colorful cities filled with quirky, gender bending characters who would welcome them. Dorothy immediately accepts the strange and different in Oz. Um, some people are saying that Bert Lars' Bert portrayal of the cowardly lion has been seen as a very camp performance. The lion identifies himself as being a sissy and exhibits stereotypically, quote, gay or at least effeminate mannerisms. Again, not my wording. Uh, Dorothy immediately accepts the lion. And is seen as, it's seen as a coded example of accepting a gay man without question. Now, that's not anything that I've ever thought of watching this movie, but I'm also not a gay man watching that movie. So I'd be interested to know if that has been anyone else's experience, because I'd read a few stories online of people talking about um, that in particular being something that stood out to them about that movie. Something else I want to talk about is Stonewall. Now, again, we discussed this last year, so I'm not going to linger on it for too long. Um, many have correlated the date of Judy's funeral with being fuel for the Stonewall riots. This is untrue, as most of that crowd was probably not Judy fans. Although, according to bar patrons, patrons Sylvia Rivera had come from Judy's funeral earlier that day to drink and mourn. She had leg- She allegedly said that there was a feeling in the air that something would happen that night. She's quoted as saying, I guess Judy's death just really helped us really hit the fan. Stonewall also had no liquor license and was passed off as a bottle club where patrons were required to sign in, and many used the pseudonym Judy Garland. Judy's daughter Lorna once said her mother was a huge, huge advocate of human rights and that she would have found the riot appropriate. When asked about her gay fan base in an interview, Judy, Judy said, I couldn't care less. I sing for people. Later, she would tell an interviewer who asked the same question, In my audiences, I have little children, many teenagers, than people my age. I'll be damned if I have my audience mistreated. Now we're t- going to talk about the rainbow flag. Some say the flag was inspired by Over the Rainbow. Judy's performance has been described as the sound of the closet. Speaking to gay men who imagined they presented in their own public lives was often at odds with a truer, tr- with a truer sense of self that mainstream society would not condone. Some say that Judy was bisexual and had a sexual relationship with MGM spy Betty Asher. So Betty Asher was there to keep an eye on her when she was um, having a fling with Artie Shaw, who was with Lana Turner at the Mm -hmm. time, and it was a whole thing. And it is confirmed by Betty Asher's brother that Betty was gay and that she was in love with Judy Garland. It's just up, to de- up for debate whether or not they actually had a sexual sexual relationship. Wow, I keep stumbling over Sessual? my... sexual I'm, like, looking at the time, and I'm like, I have to talk fast. Um, it's up for debate whether or not she had a sexual relationship with her. Some people were like, Judy loved oral sex, and she thought that women gave better oral sex.
1: And probably like, true.
2: I mean, it is probably true. But there's no concrete fact to it. It's just uh, kind of a... A theory, it's
1: speculation. A
2: speculation, yeah, and a theory that's kind of been alive for a while that I find fascinating, but we don't, we'll never right. know if it's true, you know. Judy was also ahead of her time on topics such as religion. She says, "...I believe that the real expression of your religious beliefs is shown in the daily pattern of your life, in what you contribute to your surroundings, and what you take away without infringing on the rights of other people." I don't disprove of people who make it a habit of focusing all their thoughts on religious ideas unless they let religion become an opiate with them and do harmful things to people. No one should feel that because he goes to church every Sunday, he can do cruel things which people are not ordinarily supposed to do and that God will overlook his bad behavior. And I think that by saying that, that stood out to a lot of her fans, uh, gay, straight, otherwise, um, as being something very... um, very true and probably resonated with a lot of them. I know it resonates with me now, the idea of how a religious person is, you know, supposed to be.
1: Well, the reason why I, I don't consider myself to be a religious person anymore is because of the amount of hypocrisy that I, f- I think exists definitely. within at least the religion in which I was raised. Mm-hmm. So I understand that sentiment. Um And I I do appreciate that. And it is something that was probably said... It's probably been said privately since the beginning of time. But for someone like Judy to say it publicly is a big deal.
2: In, like, the late 60s, that's a really, really big deal. And to me, it's kind of like an open invitation of... I may not be a religious person, but I'm a good person. I'm going to do the best I can, and I'm going to support you in any way I can. We're going to move on to Liza. If Judy is the legend... Liza's legacy. Yes. I thought of that myself. Amazing. I'm sure... Very good. Of it before me. Don't, don't shortchange yourself. I'm you don't sure, know that. I'm sure... I don't know. The similarities between Judy and Liza are deeper than just the similar faces and singing voices. Where Judy began her journey as a gay icon, Liza concluded it. Much like Judy, two of Liza's husbands were gay. Peter Allen actually had an affair with Judy's husband, Mark Heron on their wedding night. So Judy is married to Mark Heron. Liza just got married to Peter Allen. And allegedly, I read this on multiple articles, apparently Mark Heron and Peter Allen slept together on Liza's wedding night.
1: I don't like that. I don't like it either. That was her stepdad. And that's and your her husband. husband slept like, with him. That's
2: your wedding. And that's something that like that's a weird connection with your mom that you shouldn't
1: have. No, no, no.
2: Like, no. oh, our husbands slept together. No. Like it's just it's very uh I mean it's sad that they even, you know, if they felt if the men at the time felt they had to be married to a woman in order to be accepted by Right, but there the was a, there's an, but an element of, of that like it's it's just gross to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it either. Um Liza also married David Guest, who was rumored to be gay. Most people believe that he's gay. He denied it, so it's kind of hard to say whether or not for sure he was right, gay. Right, we
1: don't want to speculate, but I do remember exactly. that that whole thing happening. Um It was a nasty divorce. Yes. It was really
2: nasty. They also both had gay fathers. Or at least Vincent may or may not be bisexual. It's kind of widely known that he's gay, but again, we don't want to speculate. On the spectrum somewhere. <laughs> On the spectrum somewhere. Liza's similar talent, struggles, and the fact that she was a supporter of gay causes made her one of the greatest gay icons of all time. Liza has inspired generations of drag performers. Yes, she honey. sure has. And I love all of them. Let's talk about her philanthropy a little bit. She was on the board of directors for the Institute for Achievement of Human Potential for 20 years. It's a nonprofit educational organization that introduces parents to the field of child brain development. In 2006, Minnelli said she was the one who educated Liz Taylor about AIDS while talking about their mutual friend, Rock, Rock Hudson. Hudson. She, was, uh, she has dedicated much of her time to AMFAR, the Foundation for AIDS Research, which was co-founded by Taylor. In 2007, interview with Palm Springs Life, she says, AMFAR is important to me because I've lost so many friends that I knew to AIDS. She was friends with Freddie Mercury and in 1992 performed We Are the Champions with the remaining members of Queen at Wembley Stadium. In 1994, she recorded the Candor and Ebb song the day after that and donated all proceeds to AIDS research. The same year, she performed that song in Central Park to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Stonewall. When asked about being a gay icon, she said... I think probably Barbara and maybe even Cher and myself in school felt like outcasts because we didn't have standard looks. Maybe what a gay icon is is a person who is rooted for, in other words, cheered on by people who feel different.
1: And yeah, that's. I think that that's what I was trying to get at earlier when I was saying, like, to me, that article, while it can seem condescending, that was written about Judy. Um, and why she might be seen as a gay icon. Mm -hmm. In my view, I understand it because I do feel like marginalized communities, when we're relating to white communities, especially at the times whenever we were most oppressed, which was, you know, before the civil rights era, for instance. Not that we're not oppressed now, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, especially during that time period, I feel like they related we related more closely to outcasts. Like, if you were in the white community and you were being uh, looked up to, it's because we could see ourselves in you in some way. And I feel like in a lot of ways, Judy was an outcast in Hollywood. Like, she wasn't the stereotypical leading lady, blonde hair, Marilyn Monroe type. Yeah. Not that Marilyn Monroe didn't have her own demons. Yeah. But she was very out like very honest about being on the outside in a lot of situations. And I think Liza Minnelli is the same way. And there's something where it's just like our souls see each other and it makes it easy to relate. You know. Yeah. Even though we come from very different backgrounds. Yeah.
2: And there's there's something for me that even beyond the comparison of struggles. Uh, and maybe it's just my Wizard of Oz fan heart talking here, but I don't know. There's the song over the rainbow to me has always been something that, um, touches me very deeply. And I think it touches a lot of people very deeply. Judy once said, um, when being asked about the Wizard of Oz, she said, I've always taken the Wizard of Oz very seriously. I believe in the idea of the rainbow and I've tried my entire life to get over it. And I think that that's something that when people watch that movie and you are feeling a sense of um, being lost or not knowing your place in life or being misunderstood, that that movie, if you look at it in that lens, um, it lends this sort of escape and dreaming of something better out there no matter what it is and I think that that role was the platform for what gave people hope and as much as she did so many other amazing things you look back on Judy and she's Dorothy and you look at Liza and she's Judy you know what I mean it's almost like there's this continuation of this very innocent hope and then watching that movie when she's 16 years old and then knowing how her life turns out seeing that tragedy, I think, is something that resonates with a lot of people and them wanting to get over their own rainbows and finding something else that's better out there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. and I'm getting emotional. Well, I I, I think tragedy is something that marginalized communities can relate to uh, so specifically. And it does go into what you're... I think all of it goes into the same thing. Like, it's the reason why people relate to that song. It's the reason why certain communities relate to certain people. Like, all of it is this human connection linked through tragedy. Like, Definitely. I think that that's a lot of what it is. Yeah. Okay. I want to
2: hear what you're going to talk about. Enough about me and my obsessions. <laughs> I could talk about Judy for another five hours. I, I, could, talk about, I could have a whole podcast. I'm going to
1: talk about the one, the only, the first celebrity I ever saw in person when I moved to Los <laughs> Angeles, Ellen DeGeneres. What? I was, gonna, I was thinking about Ellen when we were doing um, Feminist Faves. Yes. Ellen. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So, I have been to the Ellen Show twice because Wait, I used to work for WB. You saw her, like, out and about? When I first moved to LA, the, like, I had just moved here. Uh, I just started at uh, our school that we yeah, went to. Which and Which should not be named. Uh, which we will not name. But I went to Starbucks over there by Bob's Big Boy. No. And Ellen was there. I used to work there every once in a while. It's bananas. So... I, I saw her. I had just moved to L.A. I had been in L.A. for, like, a week, and I did not say anything to her, <laughs> but it was really cool. And then I worked for WB for mm-hmm. several years. I worked for WB for, like, six years, and so I was on the lot, a lot. We got a lot of free um, tickets where we'd get, like, prioritized to go see The Ellen Show, so I saw The Ellen Show twice. It's
2: so jealous. This woman
1: has so much... You know, you always hear people talk and if you're not from L.A. or you've never been here or you haven't met any, you haven't met a lot of actors or famous people, you might hear a lot of people talk about how certain people just have an energy, you hear a lot about Tom Cruise having this like magnetic kind of personality. Um, Ellen has that. Like, it's like an it factor. It's an X factor. You can get it through
2: your television. Right, Like, you can
1: feel it. And it's one of those things that you wonder if that really exists. Like, when someone tells you, like, they've got the it factor, the X factor, and, like, you feel that. Ellen has that. Like, yeah. you can feel it. It, like, radiates off of her, ugh. and it's amazing. That's, like,
2: making me feel warm inside, not yeah. even having met her. Like, it just, like, I know what you're, you're talking about. It makes me feel ugh.
1: jealous because I'm a petty bitch, but, like, I'm just, like, I wanna God, be I, wish, I wish I could have that kind of, like... Just, but I just think it's something that you're born with. I think it's innate in you. I think you have your own special effect, you so I'm not just saying that. You make people feel really special <laughs> and loved and wanted,
2: and I love that. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> We're going
1: to stop that Someone now. give me a daytime talk show. Uh, okay. Oh, I so... went
2: in a I'm so <laughs> upset that Busy's talk show got canceled. I'm sorry. You know, I'm not going to talk about everyone it. Everyone I know
1: freaking loves her, too. Yes! So I'm super surprised it got canceled. Okay, sorry.
2: It's about Ellen now. All not right. Busy. All right,
1: let's jump in. So Ellen DeGeneres was born on January 26th Anthony's birthday, uh, nineteen fifty eight. In
2: that's crazy to me that First Anthony of all, and Ellen share a birthday. Well, yes, that's crazy, but that she was born in nineteen fifty eight. Oh yeah, she's like sixty. I know my mom was born in fifty one. Yeah, like, she's
1: sixty. She's sixty one yeah, this year. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. she looks so young and beautiful. I know. Beautiful. <laughs> I know. I love her. Um, but she was born in Louisiana. I can't. I, I'm guessing this is uh, Metairie. Not sure. But mm-hmm. she was born in Louisiana. Her mother, Elizabeth Betty, uh, Jane. So she went by Betty Jane. Betty Elizabeth Jane. Jane. Which I think is the cutest. Yes. Betty Jane. It's
2: like Francis Ethel Ethelgum. Love it. Betty Jane.
1: Was a speech therapist and her father, Elliot, was an insurance agent. So, her parents divorced when she was a teenager in 1973, and Betty Jane soon remarried and moved Ellen and uh, her new husband to Atlanta, Texas. Was, not Georgia, but Texas. Was Ellen an only child? She was not. So, she had a brother named Vance. Her brother stayed in Louisiana with their father. So, okay. they... The kids kind of split up, which is is an odd thing to me. But
2: my my dad and his sister actually, my um, aunt went to boarding school, and my dad stayed with. His mom.
1: It's interesting, though. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like I would have some psychological issues if my parents split up and then, like, divided the children. And Definitely. Maybe, and maybe the children decided, like, I want to go with mom. I want to stay with dad. Like, yeah, maybe I mean, they made Ellen, that decision. Ellen
2: was a teenager, so I wonder and if maybe And he was there four was some... years older.
1: So, okay. So he may have decided to stay. Um, Yeah, it seems like he
2: may have possibly even been closer to like adulthood at that point.
1: Right, I think he was probably in his upper teens. He was yeah. The way that it made it sound was that he was still maybe he was going into his senior year of high school or something like that, where his last couple years of high school, where he wanted to stay with his dad, which makes sense. um, Stay where he was, which does make sense. So at some point during this time, Ellen goes on to talk about this later in life. I could find no evidence that she actually brought this up until actually pretty recently, like the yeah. the last few years, where she talked about how when she was 15 or 16 her stepfather molested her. Yeah. Her mother had been diagnosed with breast cancer. And around that age, her stepfather started insisting that he he examine <gasps> Ellen himself. By, you know, feeling her breasts Mm. for lumps and doing this fairly regularly. So it's really, really... I can't imagine, as like a 15 or 16-year-old, trying to get my head around the fact that your mom is sick and you probably want to believe that your stepdad is doing something to help you, but it would also feel very violating.
2: Well, and I'm sure this was not a uh, clinical-style examination. And even
1: if it was, it's just like, that's not... Uh, When you get older, you would then realize like he never should have done that at all. You were sixteen or fifteen. He should he should take you to a doctor. Highly inappropriate.
2: Talking about he had ulterior motives. That's not okay. Clearly,
1: yeah, yeah. So um, Ellen, at this time when she was in high school, she had dreams of becoming a veterinarian, Mm -hmm. but she said that she didn't she didn't consider herself to be book smart. Mm -hmm. So she was like, I'm never going to be a veterinarian. I hear you there, girl. I'm just going to be a psychologist. I hear you there. She's like, I'm just going to count myself out for that right now. But she graduated Atlanta High School in Texas. I keep... Wanting to say that because I'm like, not Georgia. Atlanta, No, Texas, I think it's good that you I specify. did not even know was a place. Nope, me either. But she graduated Atlanta High School in 1976, and she moved to New Orleans. She moved back to Louisiana to attend the University of New Orleans, where she majored in communication studies, but she dropped out after one semester. Pause. I want Ellen's story. Granted, not all of us have the X factor that Ellen has. Not all yes. of us have her charisma. But I do want her story to be a reminder to people that, like, you don't have to have your shit figured out yep. in your early 20s. Life comes at you later sometimes. Yes. like And, like, that's, that's okay. In
2: fact, I would say that it's probably better when it does. My mom always tells me that her life didn't fully start or she didn't figure it out till she was in her 40s. And I feel that she's still figuring things out to this day, which makes me feel better when I see people who are my age or
1: younger who oh, you are never, these things. Oh, you never stop learning. No,
2: and it's like my time can come... When I'm whatever age, right. there's no time limit for what needs to happen in my life. So
1: if you are in your early 20s or your late teens... Or if and you're you,
2: graduating high school,
1: you And know? you went to college and you, after one semester, were like, I'm dropping out of college. Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily make you a failure. Mm-hmm. Like, it means that you're figuring your shit out.
2: In fact, I would say that's smart. If you realize that you don't really know what you want to do and you quit college until you know what you want to do, right. I think that's smart there rather, are some rather people, than spend the money and right. the time I, and I do agree. That.
1: I think that there are some people who know what they want to do right out of high school, and if yeah. you're one of those people, like, more power to you. But I would say the majority of people don't really know what they want, and, life and they feel pressure from society and their parents a lot of the time mm-hmm. to, which is something that I can say I'm happy my parents never really did Same. to me, but, like, if... You have parents or society pushing you to go to college when you don't know what you want to do. I would, especially in today's generation, like where you are going to get into massive debt. Yeah. Stop. Pause. Don't. Don't. Mm-hmm. Do not go to school. Do not incur that debt until you are sure of what you want to do. I agree. Um. But yeah. Anyway, that's just a sidebar. So she. Majored in communication, she dropped out after one semester at the University of New Orleans. So after this, she held a variety of jobs. She kind of did what we all do. She worked as a clerk for a law firm for a little while. She worked at JCPenney. She tried being a waitress at TGA Fridays. She was a house painter. She was a hostess. She was a bartender. She kind of worked... This
2: gives me so much hope.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's like she worked all manner of jobs for a period of time. She was just kind of floating around. And it seems that she hadn't really, yeah, she hadn't really found her calling. She didn't consider herself to be a funny person or a performer. Her brother was doing the performing thing. He was a musician. He was an actor. He was a comedian. He actually later on in life went on to write for The Daily Show. So he continued That's to, great. like, to, to perform. I'm sure yeah. as soon as Ellen became successful, he was like, well, god damn it. But, yeah. um... I'm sure he's happy for her, but you yeah, know what I mean.
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, but she did not consider herself to be the one in the family that was the performer. Of course. But she said... And I think there's
2: a lot of, uh, at least, like, I didn't have siblings, but I had a friend in high school who had been in, like, theater since she was mm-hmm. four years old. And for me, being a junior in high school, being like, I'm gonna act, was yeah. something I kept a secret, because I was that wasn't my Right, it wasn't thing. your thing. Yeah. yeah.
1: So she says that once during a public speaking event, she found herself scared, like she was going to have to go speak in front of a bunch of people, and she was scared, so she started making jokes when she was up there and, like, using humor to get through the experience, and she was a hit. Everyone was laughing, and from this experience, which I'm also like, this is how you know fucking luck plays a... Plays a part because yep. from this experience, she was starting to receive offers to do stand up. And I'm sure that her offers to receive, st- to, to perform stand up were not like high paying offers. No. I'm sure it was like being in you a club or a bar. Yeah. yeah like being hey, like, hey, hey
2: my, my buddy owns this
1: bar. Yeah. And I yeah do do you want to do stand Yeah. But she had random strangers encouraging her to to pursue this career. And that's a huge motivation. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So she began performing in 1981. So at the age of 23, she started performing at local coffee houses, and she got her big debut in 1986. So five years later. Again, keep at this shit, because it took her five years uh, whenever Acting on a chip, uh, a chip, acting on a tip from Jay Leno, the Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson sent a booking agent to catch her act at an improv in Hollywood, and as a result, uh, she appeared on the Tonight Show and earned the distinction of being the only female con- comic to be invited by Johnny Carson to sit on the famed. Couch during her first visit. Have you seen
2: that video? I have. It's She's so, so young, amazing. it's so amazing.
1: That's huge. If Johnny Carson called you over, like it was a big deal. And huge she was the first deal. female comic to to get that honor, mm, so it's amazing. Girl. I'll try and find that video on YouTube, and maybe I'll post it to Instagram. You
2: should. It's a great video.
1: So she began making re- regular appearances on the talk show circuit. So she performed on The Late Show with David Letterman, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, The Oprah Winfrey show, uh, later with Greg Kinnear, which I did not even know that Greg Kinnear had a late night no. show, but apparently he did,
2: what do you know? uh,
1: Larry King Live and Good Morning America. She was also profiled in detail on ABC's Primetime Live. In 1992, so at this point, she's done a few guest stints on a lot of 90s sitcoms, yeah. but very small, probably five and under lines yeah. kind of roles, guest spots. And in 1992, producers Neil Marlins and Carol Black cast DeGeneres in their sitcom, Lori Hill, in the role of nurse Nancy uh, McIntyre. The series was canceled after only four episodes, but Marlins and Black were so impressed with DeGeneres that they cast her in their next ABC pilot called These Friends of Mine. So they cast her in this pilot. It's called These Friends of Mine. They watched her perform. She's so magnetic and... Funny, and she had this kind of observational humor that was big at the time that Jerry Seinfeld had. Yep. Mm-hmm. That they they thought, and these this is their words that they could create a female Jerry Seinfeld. So yeah. they changed. She is very similar kind of, in her sitcom yeah. wh- like those roles. I can totally see yes. why they would think that. yes, yeah. absolutely. It, it was big at the time, you know, like it was very popular. Well, because when she was what coming Seinfeld up. did was so
2: revolutionary, right? To yeah, to find a woman who could do it, was something like, similar
1: Whoa. and do it. very Very, very, very well. Yeah, you know. So they changed the pilot name from "These Friends of Mine" to Ellen.
2: Yeah,
1: and um, you know, because they kind of knew that she was going to be the star of this show. Yeah. In and and that show ran for a while. I used to watch it. I remember whenever it was on. I didn't watch it like when it was on, but later on it would be on like, like Lifetime. And stuff. Yeah, and I watched it all the time on Lifetime, like yeah. every day. it Was would that come like your on. sick show
2: when you were homesick? Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then also when I was homeschooled, yeah, because I was that's home true. in that's the middle true. of the day, and it would come on at the same time every day. Yeah. So I always tried to like catch it and watch it.
2: Children, this is what (laughs) TV used
1: to be like. Yes, you had to wait until it was on. It wasn't like it was, you know, I think it is on Hulu now, but it wasn't always. We didn't have instant TV, so yeah, I would be like, okay... I'm going to stop working on my logic and math studies and turn on Lifetime at 3 p.m. because I want to watch. Exactly.
2: And if you were a few minutes late, you miss a few minutes. You would miss a few minutes. minutes. And you don't know
1: what happened, and that's on you. So, but it was a very popular show. It was a very good show. Jeremy Piven was on it back when he was bald. Yeah. It was a good show. I really, you know, enjoyed that show. And I remember, again, this was way after it had initially aired, but I didn't really know what happened with Ellen whenever I was a kid. And I remember seeing the episode, the Mm. episode of Ellen. (gasps) It's So so good. It's so good. In 1997, at the height of the show's popularity, Ellen became the first lead in sitcom history to acknowledge her homosexuality on the air. The Coming Out episode was titled The Puppy Episode, and it was one of the highest-rated episodes of the show.
2: It should be one of the highest-rated episodes of all time. Of all time.
1: Because, my God, is that I remember it so, like, vividly in my mind. So, what happens is... Um, she's going on these dates with men and they're not panning out. She's in therapy. Oprah is her therapist, is her therapist. On, on this show. And during a therapy session, she tells Oprah that she has a crush on a, a, a woman. Yeah. And it and that she wants to ask this woman out. And it's essentially her, Actually, very explicitly saying I am gay. Yeah. And she also made the choice to say that in real life, at the same time, and come out to the world as not only is her character gay on this primetime sitcom show, but she, Ellen DeGeneres, is a gay woman as well. Was it time... I think when she time came out as that. Yes, I think so. Yeah, I'm gay. I think that there was a big headline. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember the scene from that show where she's,
2: she was she a realtor or was she just at a house? I can't remember. But she's like. I can't remember. She's
1: like, I'm coming out of the closet. And she like came out of the closet. There were a lot of gay jokes after that. After yeah. she came out on that show. I love so, it. So. But it was very, very difficult for her. Like, very. she, she explicitly made the decision. She told them that that's something that she wanted to do. She fought to do that. But it was also extremely hard for her. The backlash was like yes, not, not only on a personal, but also on a professional level to, yeah. to choose to do this in 1997 was a, an extremely difficult and brave thing to do. Yeah. Um, it, the backlash started coming in almost immediately, yeah. An ABC affiliate in where? Birmingham, Alabama. Of course! Alabama. Oh um God. Alabama refused to air the episode. Yeah, of course. And fearing controversy, there were some show sponsors, uh, Chrysler among them, that withdrew advertisements. Yeah. And it's even said, and this, there was no real there's not it's just rumor there wasn't a lot of like corroborating evidence but given my experience in the entertainment industry i can say that i can believe this i've worked in in you know entertainment marketing and promotionals yeah. so i understand th- this where they also said that abc was very worried about how this was going to come across they were worried for sure even though even though they gave the green light for this to happen they after it happened were very anxious about promoting it. I'm sure. And so withdrew a lot of promotions, even though, even though it was one of the highest rated episodes of all time and actually garnered Degeneres to win a Emmy. You know, they, mm-hmm. they still were very nervous about it. So, several of the episodes following her reveal had gay themes throughout the remainder of the season, but experienced falling ratings due to ABC's cutting back on promoting the show. Yeah. It was believed that the Walt Disney Company, ABC's parent owner, had become uncomfortable with the subject matter depicted on the show uh, now that DeGeneres' character was openly gay. So they were backtracking. And it, it you can kill a show... Unless a show is so big that it essentially has its own life, you can kill a show by just not promoting it. By yeah. by not, like, putting out the amount of advertisements that you would put in and the amount of money that you would put into other shows.
2: Especially at that time.
1: Right. Yes. Yeah, because we didn't have social media. We didn't have ways to kind of get information out other yeah. ways for yeah. fans to keep a show happening. So, um, However, despite all of that, the show received lots of positive feedback from gay-friendly activists and the gay com- community, a- including Ellen's mom, Betty, mm-hmm. who... I love her if so If you guys much. watch Ellen now, you know that, like, her mom is such a huge advocate and supporter yeah. of her... And she appeared on lots of talk shows during this time, saying that she supported Ellen. She supported this decision. Yeah. Uh, she was very happy about it. And an Emmy Award was won for the coming out episode, and it took its place in television history. Despite all of this, Ellen was canceled yep. the following year in 1998. Yep. It just couldn't recover from probably the lack of promotion. And also, the, the amount backlash. of backlash from still a very conservative audience in the United States. So, Ellen has been very candid about talking about how difficult this moment in her life was. She was the butt of countless jokes in kind of things like maybe not SNL particularly, but a lot of those sketch comedy shows, a lot late of night. late night jokes. Yeah. Um, and she was very worried about, like, how this was going to affect her career. That was her livelihood. Yeah, it, it was a, a big deal. I mean, she knew she needed to do this for herself, like, to be a whole person. But it was a very scary thing to do as far as it would have been easier and probably, quote-unquote, better at the time for her career to have just played along in being a normal, everyday, straight actress. Can
2: I interject really quick with a quick question? Mm-hmm.
1: When did the Rosie O'Donnell show come out? Rosie O'Donnell as a talk show? Yeah. I feel like it was in the 90s, yes. Yeah, because I yeah. feel like she's another one
2: of those women who, that kind of became like a platform for her in Absolutely. a way. Who also Absolutely. also received a lot of backlash. I was just oh, curious for sure. how that
1: correlated. I'm, I'm sure it was around the same time. It was in yeah. the 90s for sure. So in 2018 on Dax Shepard's podcast, Armchair Expert, she says that she does not consider herself an LGBT leader just because she didn't want to keep quiet about who she was any longer. So she doesn't feel like she did anything courageous because she was just like, I just couldn't go on pretending to... To be somebody I wasn't. But it is courageous. Like it absolutely is courageous because a lot of people in the same position wouldn't have done the same thing. Yeah. Because it was a risk. It was a risk to your personal life and it was a risk to your professional life, a huge risk. And so she might not want to be seen that way, but the LGBT community and really America at large has taken her on as being not just an, an American icon and, you know, America's sweetheart in a way, but also a huge advocate for the LGBTQ community. Yeah, and
2: I think that in order to truly be that, she can't see herself as that, right? Of course, yeah. Like you know what I mean. That's she's it's a not humble why she human did it. being, and exactly. it's not why she did it. You know, and that is that's uh, that's her reality of the situation. It's it's, right. ha- it it's makes what we it's what we've made her, not what she's made herself. It makes her
1: more of an icon that she wanted to live her truth than yeah. that she wanted to get accolades for exactly. for being this person.
2: One hundred percent.
1: In September two thousand three, DeGeneres launched a daytime television talk show, The Ellen DeGeneres Show. Mm-hmm. It was nominated for eleven daytime Emmys in its first season, winning four of those, including Best Talk Show. The show won 25 Emmys in the first three seasons. It was on the air. 25. It's a ton. Uh, DeGeneres received wide exposure on November 4th, 2001, when she hosted the televised broadcast of the Emmy Awards, presented after two cancellations because this was pretty much immediately following the September 11th attacks. Yeah. And they couldn't figure out how to present this show while still appearing sensitive. They wanted it to be a relief for America to be able to watch this and laugh. Pay homage. But also, absolutely. And it's a huge deal that in order to do that, they hired an openly LGBT Member to host this award ceremony. And she received uh, a standing ovation for a lot of her jokes that evening, one including the line What would bug the Taliban more than seeing a gay woman in a suit surrounded by Jews? (laughs) which I love. On September 7th, 2006, uh, she was selected to host the 79th Academy Awards Ceremony, which took place on February 25th, 2007. This makes her the first openly gay person to have hosted the event. During the awards show, she said, "'What a wonderful night. "'Such diversity in the room. "'In a year when there's been so many negative things said "'about people's race, religion, and sexual orientation,' I want to put this out there. If there weren't Blacks, Jews, and gays, there would be no Oscars. Or anyone named Oscar, if you think about that. (laughs) In 2004, Ellen began a relationship with Portia de Rossi. After the overturn of the same-sex same sex marriage ban in California, DeGeneres and DeRossi were engaged and married in August 2008. I love them. I love them. They got married in their home with their four dogs and three cats. I know. There's something... Uh, Portia is another person that
2: I would love to talk about eventually. Um, I very I, candid I, with her eating disorders. She is. And I gotta say... <laughs> read that book at the worst time read it when i was leaving treatment the first time and it was not helpful if you are feeling any sort of like eating disorder behaviors don't read the book it's going to trigger you like crazy but learning about her life and how that led to her relationship with ellen and seeing how they are now mm-hmm. is
1: such it's beautiful. A beautiful she had a beautiful pure... journey oh yeah. i love it the passage of prop eight it, it cast out on their legal status of their marriage because it essentially revoked uh, the rights of LGBTQ married yeah. members in this country. Um, and the California Supreme Court judgment validated their marriage because it had occurred before the passage of Prop 8. On August 6, 2010, DeRossi filed a petition to legally change her name to Portia Lee James DeGeneres. The petition was granted on September 23rd, 2010. In November 2011, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton named uh, Ellen a special envoy for global AIDS awareness. In twenty sixteen, she received the Presidential Medal of Freedom from ugh, Barack Obama. The picture, I know it's in now. I know we're but gonna share it. The picture is still so ugh. because that'd be me. Like if you're getting that award, the president's putting a medal around your neck, like of course you're gonna cry. And it's Obama. So Obama said this whenever he was awarding her medal of freedom. It's easy to forget now when we've come so far, where now marriage is equal under the law, just how much courage was required for Ellen to come out on the most public of stages almost 20 years ago. Just how important it was, not just for the LGBT community, but for all of us to see somebody so full of kindness and light, somebody we liked so much, Somebody who could be our neighbor or our colleague or our sister, challenge our own assumptions, remind us that we have more in common than we realize, push our country in the direction of justice. What an incredible burden it was to bear, to risk your career like that. People don't do that very often. Mm. Doesn't that make you want to cry?
2: Yeah, this, honestly, the entire time you've been speaking, I've been trying be, not to Oh cry. my god. I... I look up to this woman like so no other. so much, I and I
1: also it's it's it also makes me want to cry to think about a time when we had a president who could speak that well. But his words also so perfectly reflect the way that we all. That's what made Obama such a good speaker is that like his words so perfectly reflect exactly what we're feeling. Yeah, and like. What we are feeling about Ellen is that it's yeah, like she's for, our for, friend. For you those know what who I mean? Couldn't
2: think of the words. He put them right. In your mouth yes, and in your she's brain. our yeah.
1: friend. She's a brave and wonderful lady who has she done could so much. Be
2: anyone in
1: your life, but she's and she gives you that feeling like she is. Mm-hmm. Like that's what makes her so special is that anytime you're standing within a hundred feet radius of her, she makes you feel like she knows you mm-hmm. and like you are friends with her. In November 2017, uh, it was announced that President Donald Trump would begin allowing the importation of elephant trophies from Africa— DeGeneres, an animal activist, created a hashtag campaign in partnership with her brand, E.D., Ellen DeGeneres, to donate to the David Sheldrick Wildlife Trust. DeGeneres also created a t-shirt with her brand, whose proceeds also go to the organization. In January 2018, for Ellen's 60th birthday, her wife, Mm -hmm. Portia DeRossi, gifted Ellen with a permanent gorilla home in Rwanda, Mm -hmm. built in her namesake for the Digit Fund. This gift is part of a new arm of the Digit Fund, now called the Ellen DeGeneres Wildlife Fund. That episode, when she came on and said that, I'm literally, like, I feel like I'm going
2: to cry right now, was beautiful. Whenever she has Portia on the show, there's something that is so so wonderful, amazing and touches my heart in a way that I cannot even express. And when she gave her that gift, and you know, I'm seriously going to start crying. And when you see that she didn't know what to expect. And she says,
1: you're just like, you feel it with her because she's you feel that huge, she's your friend. And like, you feel it with her. Animal rights activists. And like, you can really tell that this is somebody who has such incredible integrity. They in, have like, so many animals. In what she think. believes. Yeah. I mean, they're both vegans and they have like incredible integrity as far well as like what they believe in. So doing something like this for her was so incredibly wonderful. And it's just another mark on her legacy in the most beautiful way. So she's just like, to me, she's a personal hero. I think for a lot of people who, um, work in entertainment, want to work in entertainment, um, you know, not, not just people who want to work in entertainment, but all people, but specifically for like, if you have ever wanted to work in entertainment, I don't think you can ever look at Ellen DeGeneres and not think, That is an incredible inspiration. Yeah. Not only as a human being, but also as a performer. Yeah. She has managed to do so much and so well. It's not easy to be able to have a talk show like that for as long as she's been able to. And part of, and we talked about this when we talked about Oprah, part of what has allowed her to do that is the fact that she makes you feel... Like she's pulling you in and mm-hmm. making you feel safe and comfortable and warm, yeah. And that is so beautiful, and it has made her such an incredible ambassador for the LGBTQ community. Yeah. Um. So I, I love you, Ellen. I love you. This, I've never been so happy.
2: In an episode, uh, ever. It was pretty good. It's, like, yeah. it's a warm and fuzzy feeling. It I was hope good. that you guys felt that warm and fuzzy feeling as well. I hope that you enjoyed my, like, fangirl 35 minutes. Um, I've been waiting for this since we started the show. I'm so glad I got to do it. I knew it was it. coming, man. I knew it was I coming. I knew you
1: knew, but I was, like, hiding my papers when yeah. I came like, in. Hey, I'm
2: like, but she can't I, know for sure. I saw sure. that stack
1: of, like like stapled paper and i was yeah. like she's definitely talking about
2: it yeah. did it's a thing i could go forever and the fact that you chose ellen just made me made me so happy that i couldn't think of anyone better for you to talk about for me to listen to so thank you for sharing Yay. that that made me so happy you guys i i really hope that you guys enjoy this episode as much as we did um, this was probably one of the most enjoyable, non-heavily emotional episodes we've ever done, where it's just been pure. At
1: least in a while. Yeah, where, at least in yeah. a while,
2: where it's just been very, it's been good feeling in this closet, even though we're very
1: hot and sweaty. It is very sweaty, and we have to change my clothes <sighs> before I go to bed. I
2: know, I'm sick of taking so many showers every day. First world problems, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm not going to complain because I was no. just complaining about how cold it was. So I, I was don't. too, but then it hit 100 and I was like, you can't go from 60 to 100 in one day. I know. It really should make up its mind. Oh, it should. Okay. Global warming is not a thing, you guys. It <laughs> doesn't exist. It's fine. So you guys, thank you. I Again, I really hope you love this episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us. We really, really need your coming out stories. It is getting down to the wire we also would love any sister solidarity stories, any other stories you want to send to us, episode ideas, or just having a chat with us. We would really love to hear from you. Feel free to email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. Catch us on Instagram at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. I should have said this last episode, but we hit 10k. Oh, we
1: hit 10k followers on Instagram. Oh my God, thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. I'm like, floored. Com- bananas. completely
2: floored. My my boyfriend was telling me when we first met, I was like, Oh, we I
1: hope to get two
2: thousand by Christmas.
1: Right. Yeah. And it really it took I, I you know what? I remember when we first started and we had like a hundred followers. And I understand this is kind of like a weird thing to talk about because it's like followers are currency or whatever. Yeah. And like it's it's a strange, it's a strange thing to be like, oh my gosh, we have so many followers. But It is just a marker of how much we've grown in that when we first started, we had like a hundred... We started with like a hundred or less. And it's all people we knew. You know, and it was all people we knew. And so it is really cool to see the way that our podcast has grown, um... And we just love being able to, like, talk and communicate with yeah. you guys on yeah. any platform we can. And if that's Instagram, that's fucking great. Yeah. So come that, join us over there. Yeah.
2: We are at, at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. Direct messages, any of your stories, if you want to just chat with us, anything like that. We always check it. We're good about that. You can follow us on our sometimes-used Twitter at Yamp Podcast. Y-A-N-F, Y-A-N-F Podcast. Get us on Facebook. We have a business at a group page. You can rate and review us on Facebook. We love that. You know what we love even more, Keegan? Rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts? You are completely correct. You get a candy. Thank you so much. We love it when you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It makes us so happy and we haven't had a review in like two fucking months. So somebody please throw us a bone. I mean not that we're trying to sound desperate, but I'm totally trying to sound desperate. Maybe Keegan's not, but I totally Play am. It cool. It's I'm cool. I'm trying, I don't know how. I never learned. <laughs> Ugh, you guys. Okay, what else? Oh, Radio Public. We really love it when you listen there. It's a free way for you to listen to us. It helps us out a little bit, and it means so much. We, again, I cannot express how much I love this episode. Me too. I'm so happy. It It was a very, very good one. It was. With all that being said, we encourage you to To rage on. on. Bye-bye.